This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Sometimes you just want to like go out with like a big campaign and you just have to do all of the groundwork to make sure that you feel like comfortable that that's the right choice. Sometimes you're going to, it's not going to work. You'll look at it and say, Hey, I don't think this really drove the needle. And I think with brand marketing, sometimes you just have to take those like again, calculated risks and learn from them. Welcome to mobile growth and pancakes, a podcast by storm Maven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm your host, Jonathan Fishman. I'm a VP um I'm not a VP product marketing, I'm a VP marketing at Stormhaven, but I'm here. I'm I'm excited because I'm here with Brooke McKnight, who is VP product marketing at Jam City. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Um, you want to introduce yourself for a sec? Sure. So, uh, so thank you for that introduction. Yes, I'm the vice president of product marketing at Jam City. I have I've been at Jam City for for a few months six, seven months. I'm trying to do math here. Uh, April of 2021. And uh, previous to that, I was at uh, Network um, as head of marketing for about a year. And previous to that, I spent about 10 years at NBC Universal, um, you know, and and, uh, and I had a stint in the middle uh, at Disney Interactive. Uh, primarily, I have, I have done game marketing and I've been doing it for about 15 years. Um, I've, I I was trying to do, I was looking back at trying to think about how many games I've been involved with, um, at launch and I stopped counting at about 150. So I've been in the industry for a while. Uh, I was around before the iPhone came out. So I can talk about Java and brew days. Uh, I can talk about when we used to, you know, buy, you know, buy or rent, uh, console games at GameStop, you know, those kind of things. So. Yeah. Did, did you know when the iPhone came out, did you imagine that that's uh, how your life is going to look like in the next uh, 15 years? <laughs> I was very early in my career and uh, we were all talking about how there's going to be a game changer, right? And, w- and when it came out, I feel like it happened overnight. I was one of the few people at the company that was working on mobile games and I was at Universal at this time. Uh, and I remember I got a phone call from Ron, Ron Mayer, who was, he was president of Universal, like asking me about mobile games. And I was just kind of floored at that point. So, uh, yeah, it was very disruptive. It changed everything. Um, the studio was really interested in how um, we took advantage of this new platform. And we really did. Right. Like we. um we worked with big companies like Gameloft, Kabam, and we did some co-development deals. So when I was at Universal, I like to talk about Despicable Me, Despicable Me Minion Rush, because um, that game just recently passed over a billion downloads. 
Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had the pleasure and the honor of being a part of a lot of great projects, worked on Star Wars and Marvel and Jurassic and a lot of things. So yeah, it's been exciting. Awesome. And now that you've joined Jam City, what are you responsible now at Jam City as, as VP of Product Marketing? Yeah, so I report to Vanessa Rahani, who is the SVP of publishing, and she's amazing and it's like one of our industry's leaders, I would say. She <laughs> is, yeah, she's she's one of the the big reasons why I wanted to come. Um, we have great, great leadership at, at Jam City, Krista Wolf and Josh Aguardo and Matt Castertano, a lot of great, great folks. And I've I've known some of them for, for many years. Uh even So, our, so the team that works on Disney Emoji Blitz, when I was at Disney, I worked right next to them um, on the same floor. And uh, and we just recently acquired Ludia. I've, I've worked, I've known, you know, Alex and Francois and that team for, for many years, I think 12 years, because, you know, they had the Jurassic license for, for all the mobile games. So it just feels like um, coming to Jam City uh, was like, The most appropriate choice for me, uh, it's it's an opportunity to truly work with my friends and people that I, I admire. Um, so yeah, it's it's been amazing, and I'm I'm really excited. So I you asked what I do. I oversee uh, the product marketing team, uh, and uh, you know it's it's you know a bunch of very talented people who you know do do like sort of long term marketing plans, go to marketing plans. Um, and we also uh, oversee social media and community. Um, so, um, yeah. Cool. So we want to talk today about uh, the fact that brand marketing is making a comeback. And it's pretty cool right. giving your experience because you've been through the entire cycle. I mean, I have. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you've been through the years where the past few years where growth was so performance marketing driven, um, you know, driven or enabled, I would say, by Facebook and other uh, social media giants that uh, have created this insane user graph and were, were able to just provide you with a stream of high-quality users in exchange for their data and IDFA. Uh, that is, has gone away. I mean, it's, it's still in, in like its mm -hmm. last breath, I would say. Um, but uh, a lot of people are talking now that brand marketing is uh, is in fact making a comeback. Uh, why do you think uh, this is and and how would you define even brand marketing for a game? Sure. I, mean, I think things are very cyclical, right? Uh, when when I first got started, <clears throat> it, it was important to to you know focus on more traditional marketing tactics uh, and This was before you know user acquisition um, was even a consideration. Uh, so for instance, you know I just brought up despicable me minion rush. When we launched that game, it was really like the marketing plan was more focused on partner marketing like we were working together with McDonald's and Walmart and AMC to sort of get promotion you know cross promotional opportunities and value. Um, we we worked with Apple and Google back in the day when um, featuring was really really important and you could get um, a ton of downloads um, because you had that like big banner at the very top and uh, so so that was important and then um, just making sure that you know and and I still think this is important right the product market fit right 
Um, For sure. Are you drawing people in um, in a way that matches their expectations? And do you give them experience that they feel like is fun and, and fits with, if it's a, if it's an IP that you've licensed and it's a well-known brand, it has to fit with that. Or if it's original, um, you have to take them through like a, a fun story that they can connect with. So, uh, you know, I think early days, that's what, what the, what the main focus was, was on. And, you know, I think obviously we evolved into a, a place where we wanted to focus on performance marketing. Uh, it's kind of a Holy grail. If you, if you can, you know, if you can spend a dollar and know that you're back to, why wouldn't you every day <laughs> consistently? And so, uh, so the, you know, all of the plans and the strategies quickly shifted to performance marketing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I shifted along with it. I, I, I still have always, um, seen myself as more of a product and brand marketing person. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you know, math is not my favorite thing, but I definitely, um, put myself in a place where I, I needed to learn, um, you know, how to, how to, you know, compute information and look at all the data. And it got really exciting too, because you start saying to yourself, Oh, if I just, if I just change this one thing, like this is, uh-huh. this is how I can make, um, the numbers go up. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I still think, right. Like that both, you know, product and performance marketing are important, but they need to work together now more than ever. Um, there were, I, I think when it started to get kind of like shifted, um, to user acquisition teams kind of like started to become more, more siloed. It was like, okay, you do the creative brand stuff and, you know, I'll do the, you know, the advertising but I think the teams that have been most successful are the ones that sort of were working in concert uh, and, um, and, you know, just trying to find, figure out ways to, to make sure that um, the marketing is effective, that we're reaching the right kind of audiences. Um, so, you know, it's not to say that um, the pendulum is shifting all the way back to brand marketing, but it was just like all the companies were so focused on, on performance marketing that I think that, uh, people are starting to realize that actually, you know, having, um, having really, really smart creative is, is, is important. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think there was an article by Eric Sufert, uh, last week or this week, I can't remember about like the fact that brand marketing, like it's, it's, first of all, of course, they're affecting one another performance marketing and, and brand marketing, because the more people that are aware of the brand, uh, the more effective the ads would be because people would recognize the brand. And mm-hmm. of course, there's the entire world of um, IP based games, but there, there are other games that managed to create a really good brand uh, and didn't have a really strong IP at the beginning. Right. I would say, I don't know, things like June's Journey by Wooga. Uh, it's a really mm-hmm. uh, old game that has a huge brand. It wasn't relied. Uh, didn't rely on on a really famous IP to begin with, but the more people recognize the brand, the more people would respond, respond or be reactive to uh, to the ads. Um, the thing is, and that was Eric Sufford's point that brand marketing kind of like existed in a world where uh, people just assumed it can't be measured. So okay, we'll measure performance marketing, and right. they they'll have to prove that every cent they're putting out there, we make two. Um, but brand mm-hmm. marketing, we just assume it's something that you need to do. So you're kind of like, um, I don't know, excused from, from needing to measure yourself that, uh, in, in that kind of way. Um, 
But these days, with the lack of, of IDFA and kind of like deterministic attribution is going away, so uh, you can't measure performance marketing that way, uh, brand marketing and performance marketing are finding themselves in the same boat. Um, how do you think about measuring uh, like brand marketing or something like a TV campaign or a billboard campaign or stuff like, uh, like that that are even offline? Right. So, I, I mean, it's still very difficult to um, track direct attribution to, to some um, brand tactics. From my perspective, I think it's there's still going to be some amount of, you know, risk in the choices that you make and the decisions that you make on the brand marketing side. Um, but whenever possible um, to take those to, to make sure it's a calculated risk and do all the upfront research and, and work with um, your consumer insights team or do some, you know, some, some background and, and, and comp testing and all of that. I think, you know, when, before we even go out with the campaign, right, we, we talk to our audience, right, uh, use, take the assets and, you know, test those first, um, whether it's like a click-through test on key art or, um, you know, whether it's, you know, just asking, you know, our, our high valued players, like what they think of, of a campaign or, you know, are we, we're thinking about working with this brand partner? Like let's, let's do a survey and see if people, um, are interested in this brand or what they think about it, but what they would think about, you know, having this brand be part of our campaign. Um, if we are, uh, you know, Moving forward, I'll give you an example. So uh, for Cookie Jam, uh, Jam City um, partnered um, to integrate Wheel of Fortune into the game. And uh, they, they, had, they did a lot of like audience research ahead of that, right? Found out that a lot of people were fans of Wheel of Fortune, that they watched it quite consistently and that it matched the audience. And, um, and then when they worked, uh, you know, with Sony, they made sure that on-air advertising and uh, that it's all integrated in the game so that there's like a, a Wheel of Fortune sort of, um, you know, contest that people are playing in, in, within the game that they win prizing and it's all kind of a 360 campaign. Uh, and so that sort of thing is 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 what we're, we want to keep replicating because when we looked at the data, we had to do more of a cohort analysis for some of these act, act, actions. I mean, wherever possible, you want to have like a, a, an attribution link, but sometimes you just have to look at cohort because, you know, you can take small actions like, oh, okay, for instance, I'm going to test TV and I'm going to spend X at the lift. And you can do that if, if you have the time, but sometimes you just want to like go out with like a big campaign and you just have to do all of the groundwork to make sure that you feel like, comfortable that that's the right choice sometimes you're going to it, it, it's not going to work right you'll you'll look at it and say hey i don't think this really drove the needle and i think with brand marketing sometimes you just have to take those you know like again calculated risks um, and learn from them but you know I've, I've also been in situations where folks have said oh well we tried that before i don't know if that really worked and it's like well you know may, maybe we should try it again and just look at it a little differently and you know, if it was like a, something that we did, we did with talent, like, right. Like, Oh, we worked with talent before. I was like, well, that maybe it was that particular talent and maybe they didn't match with that particular audience or, 
Um, maybe we just didn't look at the campaign in the right way and we didn't have the right messaging. So um, I think, again, it's, it's, it's not as like, again, UA and performance marketing, it's very analytical and product and brand marketing is a little bit you know, looser, right? And it's always going to be, we'll try to do as we can, as much as we can to, to you know, go back and, and look at the data and make sure that that informs the strategy. But um, I, you just kind of have to be comfortable <laughs> knowing that you can have people, if you hire smart people and they're great critical thinkers, I think you should just, you know, move forward with, you know, strategies and plans. There are two parts here. There, like one of them is having the right infrastructure, I would say, to uh, actually measure the, the success of things that aren't directly attributable. Because these mm-hmm. channels, I mean, a lot of, uh, it's true for a lot of brand marketing channels, but they're not they're not direct response channels. Like the, the way that they influence yeah. folks to download the game is not by tapping on an ad and, and downloading the game straight away. Uh, it could happen days, weeks, months afterwards. Uh, they could go in and mm-hmm. search the app store for the brand name and then download. And then they would even be attributed, attributed as uh, search insults, which is completely uh, uh, unrelated. But uh, what you mentioned about measuring cohorts, I think that's the way to go. And if you have mm-hmm. a platform where you can basically, you know when you ran a certain campaign, and then you see how it influenced the entire funnel. Uh, people browsing the app store, searching for your brand name or or just how it influenced uh, searches for other keywords. Uh, and of course, how it influenced the effectiveness of ads at that time. Um, that could be uh, really, really useful because it, it also works through word of mouth. Like you, you ran a, a billboard campaign, somebody saw it and then talked about it with a friend. And then that friend uh, searched the app. It's like, it's impossible yeah. to really mm-hmm. measure it directly. So, <laughs> it really I, is. I, yeah, I, I like the the approach of basically thinking, you know, rationally and, and logically, and and thinking about what do we have a good uh, uh, do we have a good hypothesis and what is going to work um, during the research. Of course, understanding the affinity between, as you said, Wheel of Fortune and different brands to your uh, game brand, uh, but just then running the campaign and then measuring it uh, that way that captures all the indirect effects. Um, another thing that, that's really interesting that I'm seeing a lot of people do now uh, is it's very similar to what you uh, described with Wheel of Fortune, which is understanding on a contextual level which um, apps, like which source apps, sub-publishers are driving a lot of valuable traffic to our app and what type of games do they come from. Um, so if you think about contextually, a game buying a lot of traffic uh, on ad networks is bringing in traffic from all sorts of apps. But if you group them contextually into not even categories, like really groups of IPs, maybe, I don't know, Spider-Man, you can see that Spider-Man themed apps and games are bringing in a lot of valuable traffic. And then you discover all these small brand affinities that connect to your game. Uh, mm-hmm. and you can generate a lot more ideas with that. So uh, I really like that. Um, so what you guys are doing today, like what's working in, or what do you think is going to work in 2022 in terms of brand marketing? Like what type of channels? Sure. So, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of success with influencer marketing. And uh, speaking of attribution, we found a way sort of to um, track that uh, pretty effectively and we offer um, influencers a performance model based on installs. 
So they get X amount of dollars for every install that they bring. Um, and that kind of is, is nice because it's, it's pretty attributable and, um, and it, it incentivizes uh, influencers to, um, to really get you um, players and, and make sure that they're downloading the game. So, you know, I, I have someone on my team, Evan Cam, who's overseeing that and he's created that model and he's doing an amazing job of, you know, finding influencers for, you know, Disney Emoji Blitz and, um, you know, working with the Ludia team now to adopt that model and, and do the same for some of their games. And we're seeing a lot of success there. In addition, how do you, or is it proprietary? How do you go about like tracking the, the influencers uh, driven downloads? Yeah. Just through, you know, adjust links, right? Um, cool. Because uh, yeah. just like something that we saw, um, forget the name of the game, there was um, Song Pop. Song Pop, uh, the dude that founded Song Pop, had, uh, now has an influencer agency. I forgot their name. Uh, but um, they also found a way to attribute also the branded searches that the influencer was able to drive. Because like he founded a direct uh, installs or like, I don't know, like uh, 60, 70% of the total download that they were able to attribute uh, through search even at the time right. where the influencer campaign was uh, working. That's cool. I mean, yeah. I think that would work for agencies as a model, like as an yeah. additional way to charge folks. But They're um, always looking to attribute. Everybody's looking to attribute uh, yeah. the, the most downloads, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, you know, whenever we can, we're always trying to do some sort of campaign pain measurement with with um, the influencers and you know the ones that are the most successful um, we we try to build those relationships and you know if they if they're working for for one of our games they might work for another one and and so it, it's not just a matter of like it's it's more offering them awesome. sort of a long-term relationship that's consistently giving them um, you know income so uh, so that program has been has been really great and you know we are we 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 have our internal um, team that is directly reaching out to influencers and building that relationship but we also like it's difficult to scale unless you have an army of folks so you do want to kind of work with agencies to to continue to scale that and measure it um, you know my team's always always looking at um, new ways to either um, you know, find additional channels outside of um, outside of Facebook and our, our mobile networks. And you know, we've we've been looking at connected TV and, and running tests, or you know, thinking about um, other sort of avenues. And we're also seeing that uh, people first content is is working pretty well. So Cameo, for instance, is 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 something that we've been tapping into. Um, just recently uh, did a campaign for Disney Emoji Blitz where we worked with Kathy and Jimmy, who was a, uh, she's a, you know, a, a film star. She was in Hocus Pocus as one of the Sanderson sisters and she's a fan favorite. And we uh, had her sit down with our developer and did a, a fun interview that we posted on social. And we saw that the fans really loved it. In addition, like we had her do a bunch of, um, you know, advertising for us in front of a green screen and it really killed it. Um, so we're testing like different types of creative ideas that we can also bring to different channels, um, you know, with, with the IDFA deprecation, right. We're, we're sort of like shifting our spends and to like from Facebook to other channels. And we're also spending less on iOS and, 
you know, um, so that that has had an impact on on what we're we're doing from the user acquisition side. I mean, it doesn't mean that we're not still spending effectively because the team's been doing an amazing job of um, of finding new ways to to still like make that work. And um, I'm very thankful that we have an incredible user acquisition team here at Jam City. But we've been definitely partnering um, a lot more and trying to figure out like other creative ways to to reach audiences. And I think just tapping into some of the, the things that um, my team is already doing. Um, I think product marketing, it, it requires more long-term planning, right? So that's just sort of the, the crux of it is sometimes with, um, with mobile games, you just like want things to happen in like now and you have to be pretty reactive. And um, so we're just trying to do what we can to, to find things that, that really work, but you have to lay that, you know, you have to, put out the plan and, and figure it out. Um, and so sometimes those things take time and, you know, things like influencer marketing are important. Um, also looking to just um, build upon our life cycle marketing strategy. Um, you know, if, if you're going to lose the ability to run lookalike campaigns, you want to, you know, make sure that you're at least collecting emails and, and things like that. So you can, you know, know who your audience is. Um, so those sort of things are important. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it it goes hand in hand, like building like uh, the response of a lot of game companies. Uh, the larger one, of course, is uh, to the IDFA was to build an audience, and it goes hand in hand with uh, brand marketing. You just create an mm -hmm. enormous audience of players, and we see we saw that with the M and A, you know, movement and emotion that's happening in in the industry for quite some time now, um, where you know, there's like, maybe if I think like five, 10 years down the road, there's going to be like a handful of huge game companies that basically ate up a ton of studios and a ton of developers. Um, and they would have such a huge network or such a huge audience that they can act as their own ad network and, you know, promote their different, cross-promote their different games to one another. And I think it goes hand in hand in, in create like doing brand marketing and bringing in like a loyal audience in the, in, in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for companies to build like just to your point of like people, you know, com big companies buying smaller companies are building their network, right? So that they can, you know, cross promote and, um, you know, find a way. To and, then, and then you do have you do have first party data because it's your apps. If it's your apps, you can mm -hmm. use it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So um, do, do you have any tips for it? There's like a lot of uh, folks listening to us that are, uh, mm -hmm. that don't work in games with, you know, a really famous IP. Uh, do you have any tips right. for them where they, when they start thinking about brand marketing, like how do they should go about it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I gave Cookie Jam as an example. It's not mm -hmm. a... Um, it's it's not based on a, on a on a major IP, but it's a it's a great game that, that people love to play. And so, um, if you can partner with um, with another brand that has you know popularity, like like I said, you know we we did Wheel of Fortune. It worked really well for us. So then we did you know Family Feud, and then we did Price Is Right. And so you know we've we found ways to kind of we're like okay, this is working. So we're going to continue to partner. Um, with with um, these companies to, to to find ways to bring these game shows into into the into the app and and reach um, our audience in a, in a fun new way and have you know user acquisition that's compelling and and recognizable and memorable. 
Um, so there are ways like, you know, that you can, you can partner with things that have, you know, like celebrities or, um, you know, other brands or even other games, right? I've seen some crossover happen um, from game to game. Uh, so that's kind of um, one piece of advice that I would give. Uh, and in addition, it's just like what I said about, um, you know, being able to really truly test um, some, any piece of brand marketing that you can up front, right? Like, so whether it's uh click testing key art or working with store maven <laughs> to, to optimize your app store see yeah, yeah i gave you that plug. I like the plug yeah <laughs> um but definitely uh making sure that you're testing your creative um and uh you know with with user acquisition it's getting so so competitive uh and a lot of the systems now are automated so really uh, you know, I'm from the entertainment industry and they always say content is king. Well, this is true, right? Even in games. Um, and uh, one of my favorite marketing gurus is, is Seth Godin. He, um, he said, like, marketing is a contest for people's attention. And it literally is. Like, you just want to make sure that you're getting in front of people, you know, finding a way to grab their attention we all have short attention spans now, uh, and it's it's more important, you know, to now more than ever to to make sure that you have something that's really um, thumb stopping and grabs attention. That's uh, really true. I uh, you also mentioned Camille before, and I uh, remember I tried to get uh, I, I was uh, trying to promote our conference. It wasn't this year, last year, and um, I tried to get Snoop Dogg <laughs> to pay him like uh, <laughs> like um, yeah. I think he wanted like. $20,000 for like uh, 15 seconds saying something about Storm Maven. <laughs> I just drove that's me nuts. That's a deal. I drove that's me nuts. That's a deal. Like, that I can get these days, like everything is so accessible. So if you're doing like brand marketing and stuff, like that's a possibility. Yeah. You can just use the platform to reach out like somebody like Snoop and ask him to talk about Storm Maven and creative testing. Like that would never be, <laughs> be happening in the world. Um, uh, and I didn't do it at the end. Uh, didn't get approval. It wasn't in line with the brand. <laughs> But um, yeah, but it's uh, it's it's really accessible these days. Like you, did, you can do pretty much everything you want. Um, so we we are running out of time, but I want to ask you a few questions that we ask all of our guests. So okay. um, we talked about tips. So I just um, go straight to like content recommendation. Like who do you read? Who do you follow? You mentioned Seth Godin, but maybe somebody in, in the mobile industry uh, for, you know, mobile growth and product marketing resources? I mean, I just, I, I read a lot of trades. So, you know, Pocket Gamer and, um, well, I mean, I, I, I like Deconstructor of Fun. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because, because uh, I know a lot of those guys and I love gossip, but uh, um, so I, I, I definitely try to read the trades every morning and, and, stay up to speed on, on, on what's happening and, um, ad week. And, uh, th those are some good resources as well for if you're into more, you know, brand marketing. Um, so yeah. Awesome. And now to the, the, the most important topic, which is pancakes. Yes. Um, what's your favorite pancake? So, okay. So there is a restaurant, um, in, in Los Angeles called CC's. And they have um, matcha green pancakes. Wow, matcha green pancakes. That's matcha uh, green pancakes. Some innovative are, stuff. 
They are so good and fluffy. And I highly recommend whenever you're in, in LA next to go to CC's and get these pancakes, especially this, this is your podcast. You should do a whole podcast I, just specifically on these pancakes. <laughs> They're so good. For sure. That's uh, it's the most difficult, difficult thing in this podcast is that they have to like people just get me, uh, want to eat all these kind of pancakes and, and I do, and it's not good for my, uh, uh, for nothing. <laughs> It's not good. It, it makes me happy, though. Well, I haven't had breakfast yet. Yeah, it's, I'm hungry, so I can tell I'm, like, really excited about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and lastly, if people want to reach out to you to chat, get advice, talk to you about anything, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, also, um, my email at jamcity is brooke.mcknight at jamcity. Pretty easy. So, awesome. there. Cool. So, that was a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, doing this. I learned a lot. It was a great chat. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Talk to you soon. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.